Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Ready to Give an Answer sermon series, which talks about how to defend our faith and why we should believe what we believe. It is our hope that this series would help you in your walk with God. Please let us know how God has impacted you through these messages. Let's open our Bibles to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. Is that where we are? 1 Peter 3, sorry. 1 Peter chapter 3. And uh, get our text verse there. 1 Peter 3. And then we'll be looking at some other scriptures tonight. Now, uh, <clears throat> we're going to be looking tonight at uh, how to try to witness effectively to Catholics. 1 Peter chapter 3. Okay, um, and we're going to be looking at uh, how to witness to Catholics. Last week we talked about uh, how to witness to who? Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, remember we all went shopping last week and we went to the store and we bought what? Green beans. And they all had all different labels. <laughs> now, all different labels, but when you open the can up, it's still green beans. Well, when we talk about all these different groups, whether it's Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, uh, Church of Christ, uh, Buddhists, Atheists, whatever label you might put on it, we just need to remember they're all human beings and they're all sinners. Before a person can get saved, they have to realize they are a sinner. They need salvation. And so uh, it's just very helpful to us to recognize that we really don't have to know all about their religion. We don't have to have all the answers as far as uh, trying to uh, be argumentative or anything like that. We don't have to know all of that. We just have to uh, just be focused on the gospel. Uh, a pastor mentioned it. I was going to use it tonight. And he mentioned it Sunday in, uh, in one of his sermons. He talked about how that a uh, federal agent, they don't look at counterfeit money and study counterfeit money. They study the real thing. The Treasury Department, they just spend their time studying what the real actual bills look like. And then when they know what that actual bill is, then anytime they see something that doesn't match up to it, they know that it's counterfeit. And that's what Jesus said. He said, know the truth, and the truth will what? Make you free. Know the truth, and the truth will make you free. When we know that Jesus is the Christ, we know that we're saved, we know how we got saved, we have that assurance of salvation then we can know and recognize anything that doesn't measure up to that. And so uh, <clears throat> whether we're talking about trying to witness to uh, any certain particular label group, we just need to have to realize we need to bring them all back into the reality that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They're all sinners, and they all need a Savior. They need to recognize that. So how do we get them to that baseline is one of the, uh, one of the main things that we consider in trying to witness to any group. Uh, now, I'm going to read some questions. Some of you had some questions last week, and I want you to do this this week. If you have a question from the, the service tonight or something, uh, write it down. I'll try to answer it. Here's one that says, how do I witness to family members and non-family members that are Catholic, agnostic, or atheist? Okay? And so we'll deal with that a little bit tonight. And again, green beans. Okay? They're all, they're all <laughs> uh, sinners. They're all in the same category. And we'll get to that now. Uh, how do I witness to someone who believes in Jesus as a part of a work of salvation? Uh, that's really one of the crux matters that we work with when we're dealing with other 
groups, uh, whether it be Mormon, Catholic, uh, Seventh-day Adventist, whatever it might be, uh, they take salvation and they mix Christ plus something. The Church of Christ, when you talk about the Church of Christ, for example, 1% of so-called people who consider themselves Christians in America are under the category of Church of Christ. And they believe there's five parts to salvation. You have to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have to believe on Him and trust Him. Plus, you have to be baptized in their church. Plus, you have to tithe to their church. Plus, and they've got five particular steps. When you talk to Jehovah's Witnesses or to Catholics, uh, uh, they, they have works that they look at and certain things that have to be included. And they might even use the same terminology, and we'll deal with that a little bit. They'll use the same terminology of believing on Jesus Christ, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But then they add other things to it. And by adding other things to it, baptism and different types of works and so forth, then they never have assurance. They never, they never know. They always say, well, I hope I'll make it. I think I'm going to make it. But they never have assurance. But the Bible tells us these things are written that you might know K-N-O-W, you can know that you have eternal life. And it spells it out for us. So uh, that's one of the things that we have to do is, is get them to realize that it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy he saves us. And uh, just learn some of those verses, Galatians uh, chapter 2, eight and, verses 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. And uh, Romans chapter 4 and chapter uh, 7 and 8, uh, where it talks about grace, and it says, uh, if, it's, if it's of works, then it's not of grace. And if it's of grace, it's not of works. It can't be a mixture. It's got to be one or the other. And so learning some of those Bible verses that have to do with grace and mercy help us uh, in witnessing to people uh, that believe in some type of works. How did you, here's a good one. How did Jehovah's Witnesses grow so large if only 144,000 get to heaven? Have you ever wondered that? Well, first of all, realize that Jehovah's Witness, uh, there are a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses and a lot of Mormons around, but Jehovah's Witnesses, of all the groups in America that say they're Christian, there's only 2% that are Jehovah's Witness. Only 2% that are Mormon. 1% is uh, Church of Christ. Uh, about 10%, 10 to 11%, claim to be Baptists. Uh, 25% of those who call themselves Christian in America claim to be Catholics. And so when you talk about trying to reach Catholics, you're talking about about one out of every four people who claims to be a Christian in the United States is a Catholic. So you're going to run into uh, Catholics more often. But Jehovah's Witnesses, they, uh, they, have, they picked out this 144,000. Where'd they get that number? Somebody know? 12 tribes. 12 tribes, okay. And where's that at? 144,000. Revelation, okay. Revelation chapter 7, it talks about the 144,000 witnesses that are going to be during the tribulation, all right? So when we read the scriptures, it's in, uh, it's in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 11, where it talks about the 144,000. That's during the tribulation time, after the rapture takes place, during tribulation, there's 144,000 witnesses of the gospel here on earth during the tribulation. And the Bible tells us who they are. They're Jews. There's 12,000 from each tribe, and it names the tribes. They're Jews. They are all men. Uh, they're all virgins, never been with a woman. Uh, and it gives us uh, about half a dozen different things there. They're all during that tribulation time. 
So for them to take that 144,000 out of Revelation and, and apply it to their own group is, of course, way out of context. Now, the comparison that they have, or the, the logic they have here, is there's 144,000 who are going to be in heaven, and everybody else is going to either be on earth, or they're going to be annihilated. They don't believe in hell, they don't believe in eternal punishment. Uh, they take those verses totally out of the Bible, they don't, they don't uh, believe in any of that, so they believe in annihilation. That, uh, if you don't put your faith in God, if you don't come their way, if you don't believe, in fact, they'll say, if you don't believe Jehovah's Witness way, then you're going to be annihilated. But if you do listen to these 144,000 during the tribulation and you convert to Jehovah's Witnesses, then you will live and dwell on the earth. So they've got some, some odd beliefs, okay? Um, hope that kind of answers that question. Oh, here's another one about Jehovah's Witnesses. Why don't they acknowledge any holidays? They don't acknowledge holidays because they believe that all holidays have been corrupted by the world, okay? Now, we would admit to some of that, too. We know that Jesus wasn't born on, on December 25th. Uh, we know that, uh, um, you know, the Christmas has been, uh, you know, got Santa Claus in it and all this type of stuff. Easter has the Easter bunny and... Uh, Easter and, and uh, Passover are not exactly the same, and we understand some of these things, but they say because they've been corrupted, then they don't worship and don't have any holidays, don't celebrate any holidays. Christmas, Easter, birthdays, they, they don't even celebrate birthdays for the most part, according to their religion, uh, because they've all been corrupted. They said in the Bible they, don't, they didn't have birthdays, they celebrated death days. And well, they did that in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, it, was, it is totally different. Um, another one about the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, if they had prophecies that never came true, um, then we also, talking about Christians, have prophecies. People who, for example, uh, prophesy that Jesus will return and so forth. Okay. Their prophecies, they set dates. They said the first one was 1914. They said Jesus is going to come back in 1914. And they sold their properties and different things, and they waited for him to come back. Well, he didn't come back. Uh, and so then they said, well, he did come back, but he just came back spiritually. And he's the ruler of the world now. He's the king of kings and lord of lords in the world now. So everything's going to get better and better from here on out. Well, as you know, from 1914 forward, it hasn't gotten better. It's gotten worse. We've had a couple of world wars and uh, nations against nations and wars throughout the world ever since. And so uh, they changed that and they said, well, he's coming back in 1975. Well, he didn't come back then either. And uh, they've pushed those things ahead. In what we might say more uh, uh, general Christianity, there have been date setters. There have been people who've said, Jesus is coming back on such and such a date or such and such a time. I remember when they had 88 reasons, came out with a little booklet, made a lot of sense, 88 reasons for Jesus to return in 1988. How many of you remember that? Some of you remember that? 88 reasons for Jesus to come back in 1988. Well, he didn't come back in 1988, so the same author wrote 89 reasons for Jesus to come back in 1989. Came out with another little book the next year. Well, you know, people set dates and so forth, but that's not a doctrine. That's just people that are doing that. But the Jehovah's Witnesses, this was part of their church doctrine. So that's what makes a difference there. And so they made some prophecies. They don't come true. And the Bible is very clear in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. 
if a prophet makes a prophecy and it doesn't come true 100%, then don't pay any attention to them. We'll turn away from them. Back in the Old Testament, they stoned them. It used to be a song, everybody must get stoned, but that was different. <laughs> Here's, okay, First Peter 3.15, this question, <laughs> I'm sorry. This, this, <laughs> police officer here. All right. <clears throat> our, our text verse for this, these lessons is in uh, 1 Peter 3. Look at it, verse 13. But sanctify the Lord God uh, to, in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience, and it goes on about our lifestyle in Christ. So the question is, are we just supposed to talk to people who ask us? Are we supposed to be ready to give an answer to those who ask? Well, we are supposed to do that, but the Bible is very clear. We have what's called the Great Commission, that we are commissioned to go and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we go and tell them, whether it be at work or in our family or knocking on doors, as we talk to people about the Lord, then they come up with these different questions, and the Bible tells us we need to always be ready to give an answer for that hope that lies in us. All right. Um, we're going to get into our, our lesson on trying to deal with Catholics and reach Catholics. Uh, before I do that, how many of you here have a Catholic background? Would you slip your hand up? Some of you here were saved out of Catholicism, all right? So you have a Catholic background, and so some of you could answer some of these thoughts uh, more clearly perhaps than I could. Uh, so just, uh, uh, let's just take a moment and tell us uh, what was it, if you'd like to, just take a, about 30 seconds and tell us what it was that, that seemed to kind of turn you to the truth. What was it to kind of set your wheels in motion toward uh, uh, becoming a true Christian rather than Catholicism? Mag? Now, that's very interesting. She was saved in the Catholic Church. You heard her say that. Saved in the Catholic Church and involved in a Bible study. And uh, we're going to see how that works. It's, uh, that's one of the key things is uh, getting Catholics to the Bible. Somebody else who was saved, you're a Catholic, and you'd like to tell us how you got saved or what made the difference? Yeah. Very good. And which college was that? Uh, in the Philippines. In the Philippines. Yeah. Good. All right. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a Christian college. It's more of a Baptist. Uh-huh. That's where I have my foundation. That's neat. And again, got reading the scriptures and so forth. Yes.
you know, they have the Douay version and they have uh, uh, first, second Maccabees, Bell and the Dragon and others. It's called the Apocrypha that's within. Uh, they include that in their Bible. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Yeah. Uh, somebody else save from Catholicism and tell us how, how God worked it in your life. The Pope made you leave. The Pope made you leave. <laughs> Can't question it. Yeah. So Catholicism is uh, it's very deep rooted in a lot of people's lives. A lot of people have grown up in Catholicism. It's uh, uh, their families have been rooted in it for years and years. <clears throat> and there's a lot of different uh, stories we can hear about people coming out of Catholicism and coming to the truth. Uh, and what we want to recognize, and I think, uh, and we'll get to it here. <clears throat> well, let me go ahead and. And let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get to right into the lesson. Father, we do thank you for the privilege of looking into your word. And Lord, the way that your word and your Holy Spirit work in our lives, Lord, uh, every day, uh, reaching the unsaved, convicting them of sin and need of a Savior, working in our lives as Christians, Lord, convicting us of sin and, and uh, prompting us and teaching us, Lord, as we heard from Tom's testimony tonight. Uh, just uh, day by day, Lord, you, you love us and you're working to bring uh, us to you closer and closer. We thank you for that. We ask you to bless in the lesson now and answer some questions for us. And Lord, help us to learn some things that will help us to uh, be more effective in witnessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, the possibility of us uh, crossing paths with Catholics is, uh, is pretty common. We're going to cross paths. There's one every four Christian so-called uh, claim Catholicism. And so when the opportunity arises for us to do that, number one thing is we have to have a proper attitude in witnessing to people. All right? We don't want to be confrontational. We want to, uh, we want to reach them. And I want to read for you 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. As I get my glasses on. I, brethren... When I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now think with me. You remember the apostle Paul. He used to be the Saul. He was raised under Gamaliel, who was the number one teacher in that uh, time period. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew all the law and so forth. He thought he was doing God a service by going around and capturing Christians and testifying against them. He held the clothes of those that stoned Stephen, and, and he was uh, totally anti-Jesus. And then, of course, he got saved. Well, he still had all this intellect and knowledge, and God used that. And so he says to the people of Corinth, he says, you know, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellency of speech. I didn't come and hold out to you all my doctorates and all of my wisdom and so forth. He said, I came and I just wanted to, wanted to preach to you Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he goes on, he says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. <clears throat> you and I, 
I, I think it's wise for us to realize that when we do talk to somebody in soul winning, witnessing, it's wise for us to realize that God is using us and, and in a sense, we have souls in our hand. We need to be careful how we deal with them because we can, we can turn those people against God or we can point them toward the Lord. So we have to be careful about that. He said, I had fear and trembling and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. When we go to witness to people, we have to depend upon the Holy Spirit and his power. And he says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When we want to witness to somebody, we want them to turn to Christ, not because uh, of our ability to sway them or argue against what they believe or to pull them out of. We, we want them to genuinely realize that they need Jesus Christ and he and he alone can forgive their sins and, and save their soul. And so we want to do it with, uh, like he says here, fear and trembling. And uh, so some things we need to do, we need to be prayed up. All right, before we talk to people, we need to be praying. While we're talking to people, we need to be praying. God, help me to say the right thing. Help me to have the right attitude. Sometimes people can be belligerent or they can even attack your, your thinking or attack the Bible or say something even very negative against God or Christ. And we can't let that turn us sour toward them. Uh, we need to be in the Word and have the Word of God in us. It is the Word of God and the Spirit of God that's going to change people's hearts. And so we need, that's why it's, it's important for us to read and study the Word and memorize the Word and maybe carry a New Testament with us, something like that. I carry with me, I always carry tracks. I always carry tracks. But, uh, if you find me without a track, it's because I'm in the shower. All right? But uh, other than that, I mean, I'm always carrying tracks and I always pass out tracks. I believe they're uh, very effective. Uh, and uh, they, they do, people get saved from But I also try to carry a little card like this. I have this little card with me. It's uh, just a little soul winning card, what you should know, and it goes through the plan of salvation. When I go out soul winning or door knocking or follow up, I always carry a New Testament with me. I have some New Testaments in each car, and I carry a New Testament with me, so I have the scriptures there that I can point to, and people can actually see the Bible, the Word of God. Uh, this little card, it has scriptures on there and it shows the reference and so forth. So we have to realize that the Word of God, so we prayed up, have the Word of God, and then we need to be led by and attentive to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lead us, not only in going to somebody, but as we're talking with them, uh, the Holy Spirit can guide us and direct us in what to say and how to say it and what to refrain from saying. Uh, if you're, I I'm, I'm human enough, I know that sometimes I have to bite my tongue. I just want to say some things. I know, well, that's going to be offensive to them. That's going to push them away. That's going to become a stumbling block, and I don't want to be that. And so the Holy Spirit always teaches us and guides us to say and do the right thing. And so we have to be uh, compassionate and not antagonistic. Be compassionate uh, and not antagonistic. These are real people. They... Uh, 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 have uh, uh, backgrounds and different things. So I want to give us some pointers. Uh, and these are in no particular order or anything. But number one, would you witness to anybody, but Catholics we're talking about, be sure that your unfeigned love shines through. What's the word unfeigned mean? Somebody tell me. Un not, okay, not fake. It's not fake. It's, it's, it's not... Uh, 
uh, a feigned love. It needs to be a genuine love that shines through in our lives. And be joyful, be friendly, uh, be ready to listen to them. Uh, don't try to just monopolize a conversation or something. Uh, let them speak, and then you, you're there to answer their questions and to lead them, as we talked about last week, to Christ. So let the love of Christ flow through you, remembering that you and I, we are called to be his ambassadors. We are his representative. And so we need to be Christ-like in, in our approach. And number two, don't get sidetracked into trying to disprove uh, their doctrines or practices of the Catholic Church. Uh, as you're going through uh, uh, talking with people, uh, you might be confronted with a question as you're trying to give them the gospel, trying to show them the word of God. You may say something, well, what do you think about, uh, what do you think about praying to Mary? All right? Or what do you think about praying to the saints? Well, how do you answer a question like that when you're trying to stay on track? You say something like this. I believe everything the Bible has to say about Mary and the saints. Now, let's get back to the main point. And so, you've answered their question. You believe everything the Bible has to say about Mary and the saints, but you've not gotten into an argument or a, a, a fight about that particular doctrine. You're bringing them back to Jesus Christ. Do you believe everything the Bible says about Mary? Hello? Yeah. <laughs> you believe everything the Bible says about the saints? Yeah. yeah well, the Bible does talk about Mary, and he talks about saints. And we believe everything it says, but they believe things it doesn't say. Well, we're not going to get into that. We're going to get back to the gospel, back to, to Jesus Christ. Keep them on uh, the, the truth of Jesus Christ, who he is, and his completed work. As they begin reading, and this is from with testimonies we've heard here tonight, and it's kind of the main thought, uh, as they begin studying the Bible, as, as Catholics begin looking at the Bible, they will begin to have their eyes open. The Spirit will deal with them, and they'll begin to see truth from air, and uh, the Word of God will do its job. Uh, understand, number three, that we have several key doctrines in common with Catholics. We have some key doctrines that are in common. They believe the Bible is from God. Okay, now they have some extra <coughs> biblical works in there, some, ex, uh, some extra books and so forth. And their Bible, if you read their Bible, it reads a little different than ours, just like a lot of the modern versions today read different and so forth. But they believe, you know, the Bible's from God. They believe that, that Jesus rose from the dead. They believe that uh, Mary was a virgin. Uh, and conceived, Jesus Christ was conceived, and, uh, and, and, and uh, these particular doctrines are common. We have some common doctrines with them, and so it's not just going to have to be about thinking, well, I've got to argue with them about all these little points. No, you've got some common ground to start on. Number four, don't be afraid to use their Bible. Don't be afraid to use their Bible to show salvation verses. They'll read a little differently. Uh, but you can take their Bible and you can go through the Romans road with a Catholic Bible. Uh, and uh, you can read uh, uh, the same verses. They'll read a little bit differently. But if you know the meaning of the verse, you can very easily explain that to them from their Bible. So don't be afraid of, uh, of using their Bible. A lot of times Catholics don't want to use your Bible. They're taught that your Bible is... Uh, uh, incomplete and uh, so forth. And so uh, when you say, well, let's look at the Bible, they might want to say, well, I want to look at mine. Say, okay, that's fine. Man, bring it out there. 
And you might even compare them and have them close together or something. But the key verses for salvation are right there. Number five, be aware that there are semantic differences. By that I mean this. The words that you say and the phrases that you say will sound the same, but they will have different meanings. For example, to a Catholic, when you say baptism, what do they think of? They think that that's part of salvation. That's why they baptize infants. They have infant baptism. Their baptism is sprinkling, all right? So when you say baptism to a Catholic, what they picture in their mind is totally different than what the Bible pictures or what we picture. So certain words and certain phrases will, will show up differently. Baptism is one. When you say Jesus, we think, well, Jesus is our Lord. He's our personal Savior. He's a friend. He's somebody I talk to every day. The Catholics, they see him as a figure on a cross. They see him as a figurehead of the church. Uh, they see him as a little baby in the manger. Uh, and so the, they see, uh, see him just a little bit different. And we already talked about the Bible. Our Bible, we say, is uh, from the Holy Spirit. They say, well, it's a product of the church. And so uh, there's some little thought differences. So we have to be careful in not using a lot of churchy terms, uh, being born again, redeemed, terms that we would use that we have a common knowledge of. They're kind of foreign to Catholics, so we kind of have to kind of get back to the basics, so to speak, and just be aware that the language is going to hold a little bit different meaning. These are real people who've grown up often, they've grown up in the Catholic religion for uh, their family has been indoctrinated from uh, an early age. They've all been indoctrinated by the Church of Rome, and uh, they recognize the uh, authority of the Pope and uh, they uh, recognize that the Pope, that they say the Pope takes precedence over everything else. They believe in the Bible. They believe in what's called traditions, the, uh, the history and so forth. But then they also believe the authority of the Pope. And if any of them disagree, the Pope takes precedence. And so they've got those three authorities, whereas we believe the Bible is the final authority. Um, they've been taught to believe that the Catholic Church is what they call the true church, all right? The Catholic Church is the true church and that all other churches have sprung out of the Catholic Church. Uh, and of course, you remember uh, 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 back in uh, the Dark Ages when uh, Luther and uh, uh, Zwingli and the, all the Protestant uh, uh, movement began uh, and so today, many of the churches today have, are called Protestant churches because they protested against the Catholic beliefs. And so you had uh, Luther, who was a Catholic monk, and some of these others. They came out of the Catholic church. They protested against some of the things that they saw were wrong there, and they started their own churches. And so the Catholic church is right in saying, well, these other churches came from us. But... They're wrong in saying that all churches came from them. The Catholic Church didn't start until 314 A.D. So they were Johnny-come-latelys themselves. Uh, the Catholic Church uh, began uh, in the 300s in that, uh, what's, what would that be, the 4th century, they call that. And uh, yet they look at the church and they say, well, this is a true church because of it's so large, it's so wealthy, 
It has such a political presence and such power. Uh, it has established more parachurch organizations, such as hospitals and orphanages and school programs. It has a large number of clergy. It has the uh, uh, archbishops and bishops and uh, priests and all of the helpers and so forth. It uh, has a high visibility uh, profile. And they claim to be the historically the oldest Christian church, but a true study of history will show that they're not. And anybody who will study history, uh, even, even Catholic historians will say there were other groups of Christians before the Catholic Church came into existence. So uh, they're taught, though, that they are the mother church. So they grow up believing that. It's just indoctrinated in them. How many of you have been through the uh, class that the pastor does uh, for new members and so forth? What do they call that class? Starting, what is it called? Starting point. Starting point. How many of you have been through that? Okay. If you've not been through that, I encourage you to go through that. One of the lessons is about church history. Very, very well done. And uh, he takes really a whole semester and crowds it into about 35, 40 minutes. It's an excellent class. But uh, getting back to this, uh, remember that many Catholics uh, claim to be Catholic, but they're not really Catholic. What are they called? Rhinos, okay. Uh, they claim to be Catholic, uh, but they're Catholic in name only. All right? They're Catholic in name only. And so you talk to people, and they say, well, I'm Catholic, you know. And I always, I'm always, I always joke with them. I'll hand them a track and say, I want to invite you out to church. You go to church somewhere. Oh, yeah, I'm a Catholic. I go to St. Mary's or whatever they say. I say, oh, great. I said, dear, man, this is great. For the next month, we let Catholics come for free. They go, you do? I said, yeah, and then they laugh. They go, oh, lady this week, uh, they, yesterday I, I said that to a lady. She said, oh, I'm going to tell my husband that, you know. And so you just kind of talk to them. They're real people. Talk to them, love on them. And uh, uh, they, um, the, some of them claim to be Catholic. They say, well, I'm Catholic. Well, which church you go? Well, you know, I, I belong to this one over here. When's the last time you went? You know, well, they haven't been for a while or... They'll go just uh, once in a while for mass or something, you know. <clears throat> and so just like a lot of people claim to be Baptists, and they're not really. A lot of people go to Baptist churches, and they don't really know everything the Baptist church believes. Some people come to our church and would say, well, you know, I go to that church, but I don't believe everything they teach. Okay? That's in every church, and Catholic churches like that, too. There are a lot of people who go to Catholic church, and they'll say, well, yeah, but... You know, I, I, you know, I don't know about this telling my sins to a man, you know, and things like that. So they don't agree with everything that they, they go to that church. So they claim to be Catholics, but they're not really 100% there, or maybe they don't even know some of the doctrines that the church teaches. They've just been raised up that way. And so they don't know why they believe what they believe, and they don't really know everything that the church teaches. There are true born-again believers in the Catholic Church, okay? They're true born-again believers in the Catholic Church. Um, just like we heard Maggie's testimony, she was in the Catholic Church and got saved, and then as she studied the Bible, began to see the differences and has moved away then and came here and got baptized, and you know that story. And I had a, a friend in Greeley, Colorado. Do you remember Brother Scardino? Was he principal when you were in school? 
Okay, Brother Scardino was the principal of Dayspring Christian School. He, he was a Catholic priest that got saved. Brother Scardino was a Catholic priest, and he got saved. And I was on the board there, the school, and uh, for a number of years. And uh, so I would spend time with him. We'd go to coffee and stuff, and I'd talk to him, and we'd get on to some doctrinal things. And, and uh, he said, no, he said, I always grew up. He said, Denny, I always grew up. He said, uh, anything in moderation, because we'd talk about drinking alcohol. He says, oh, anything in moderation, and so forth. And as we began to talk and so forth, go along, uh, I would tell him, I'd say, now, Brother Al, I said, you're, you're coming closer and closer. I said, one day you're going to be a Baptist. I said, one day you're going to even get baptized Baptist. He said, oh, no, no, I'm never going to go that far. And uh, we would talk and so forth. Long story short, uh, last time I saw or heard about Al Scardino, he was on staff at a large Baptist church down in Atlanta, uh, Georgia, and he'd gotten baptized, and he was on staff there as a counselor. So, but here he comes all the way from being a Catholic priest all the way through and through studying the Bible and so forth, realized and, and made changes in his life. Um, so there are some true born-again believers in Catholicism, just like there are some true Christians. I believe in Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and so forth. And here's what happens. They come to a point in their life, whether through reading the Bible or somebody witnessing to them, or maybe as a young child, or maybe they ride a bus to church, they come to a point in their life where they truly understand and they trust Christ as Savior. But then they get caught up in another religion or they get fall out of church totally and they get caught up by one of these cults and they start learning and being taught. <clears throat> and so now they're a part of a cult, part of a church that doesn't even believe what they once believed. But that doesn't change the fact that they were one time born into God's family. They're still a child of God. And so there are some, some people like that in the Catholic church. Um, <clears throat> they either get confused in their doctrine or they never really grow spiritually, and they get caught up like that. The Bible talks about those, the thorns grow up and choke them out. But when a true believer gets into the pure word of God, that believer will grow, and that believer will begin to be taught by the Holy Spirit, and their life will begin to change because the word of God is powerful. Some of you have some Bible verses there. I want you to read them uh, at this time. Who has Hebrews 4.12? All right, read that. And when it's your turn to read, just read it out real loud, okay? Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged I'm like that, too. <laughs> Let's see. Than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dragging of the night soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay, the word of God is quick and powerful. It's alive and it's powerful. And it goes down, it divides even to our, uh, in our thoughts of our spirit and our heart. Uh, so the word of God, that's what we have to get people to. Catholics, the way they're going to get saved, you have to get them to the word of God and let the word of God and the spirit of God do his job. Who has John 8.32? John 8.32. Okay, Miss Anita. Know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 17, 17. I think, Carl, do you have that? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. It's the word of God. It's truth. It's good. That's what's going to sanctify, set apart, make us holy, is the word of God. Somebody has Romans 10, 17. All right? Romans 10, 17. 
Okay, so it's the word of God. How does faith come? By hearing. And where's that? The word of God. So we have to get Catholics or Mormons, whoever they are, get them to the word of God. Deal with them from the word of God. Uh, look into the word of God. Get them studying the word of God. You might want to say to somebody, you know, you know, if they're close to you and stuff, say, you know, can we just have some time and look at the Bible sometime? And they'll say, well, I want to look at, you know, my Bible. I don't trust your Bible. Yeah, that's fine. And go ahead and utilize their Bible because the same salvation verses are in there, worded differently. But since you know the truth, the Holy Spirit will help you to explain uh, some of those, the wording to, to bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. The Bible says we're to speak the truth in what? Love. love. Speak the truth in love. The Word of God is truth, and that's what's going to win uh, people, uh, Catholics to the Lord. They have to realize that the Word of God is more authoritative in their life than the Pope or tradition or whatever. One key to winning a Catholic to Christ is to get him into the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will use the Word to reach the heart of the unsaved. The Spirit and the Word do the work in the heart. Our job is to get the Word, the Gospel, to the sinner, or the sinner to the Word. So that's what we need to do. We need to try to do that effectively. Get the Word of God to them or them to the Word so we can get the exposure of the Word of God and the Spirit of God into their life. Catholics have been taught that the Bible is too complicated. And part of their teaching is that the Bible is a mysterious book and really it's for the uh, bishops and the archbishops and the priests. Let them read it and study it and they can share with you what it really means. And so they don't put an emphasis on people reading the Word of God. You know around here we've got Bibles around. We tell people, we encourage them to bring their Bibles. Every week the pastor's encouraging us to spend personal time in the Word of God because that's the authority, that's where the truth is, that's where the power is. So <clears throat> they've been taught differently though. Let these men guide you. But we say get into the Word yourself and make sure what we're hearing is the truth. God wants everybody in His Word and He wants us to be learning it. Who has 2 Timothy 2.15? Okay, Miss Mary. Okay, so we're to study the Word of God. That's 2 Timothy 2.15. Okay, study the Word of God, all right? Uh, so we can show ourselves approved. And it says they're rightly dividing. They're, it can be rightly divided. It can be wrongly divided. The Bible explains itself. Remember last week we said if somebody, and we'll say this when we talk about Mormons too, when you're dealing with them and they bring a little verse out, well, the Bible says this, all you have to do is read the context, the verses before and after, and it explains it. And oftentimes, just doing that will debunk whatever it is they're trying to say. Because the Bible, let, the, let God be true and every man a liar. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Who has that? Okay, Dustin? It's a, it says perfect there's meaning mature. It matures us. The Word of God, there's, there's four things it does there. Uh, and it corrects us when we're wrong and it gets us back on track and then it teaches us how to stay on track, instructs us and so forth. And so the Word of God does that. Somebody has Second Peter 1 verses 20 and 21. Who has that? Okay, Brother Allen. 
Okay, the Holy Spirit moved those men and they gave us the scriptures. And the scriptures not of any private interpretation. If it's not private, what would it be? What's public, okay? The Word of God is public. Everybody needs to be in it and everybody needs to be studying it and reading it. Uh, Acts, yes? That was 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Who has Acts 2, 42? Somebody has Acts 2, 42? Yes. And they continue steadfastly in apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Okay, that's the early church. So what were they doing? Daily they were looking into the Word of God. Daily they were studying the Word of God and fellowshipping together. And so this is something that the Lord wants us to do. So one key is to get the sinner, the Catholic, the individual, get them to the Word or get the Word to them. And we do that in a lot of ways. We do it by handing them a track. We do it by sitting down with them, by uh, opening the Scriptures or the New Testament or something and getting them to the Scriptures and then challenging them uh, to get into the Word, see what the Bible has to say. Uh, Secondly, the second key is to pray with your Catholic friend. Pray with your Catholic friend. Catholics, for the most part, are not used to hearing their name mentioned in prayer, and they're not used to praying directly to God. They're used to praying, as, as we've been, we, we understand, praying through saints or through Mary or different things like that, or listening to the priest up there go through uh, some ritual, or they're, they're uh, taught that prayer is uh, the rosary beads and Hail Mary full of grace and those repetitive things. And, and they're not used to someone just talking to God freely. And so one thing that you can do is when you talk with them, say, well, let's have a word of prayer. And uh, you pray for them. And Lord, I want to pray for John right here that you continue to uh, work in his heart and help me to be the friend and, you know, pray that you can be the right kind of friend to him and so forth. And just pray in uh, a common prayer like that. It's almost foreign to them. And uh, praying aloud to God is uh, something that's new and it's an enlightening uh, experience for them. Let me read to you what Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4 and uh, verse number 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, it's talking about Jesus, that is passed into the heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be uh, touched with our feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the Bible is very clear that says, hey, we can go directly to Jesus Christ and talk to him. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And I'll give you some of these scriptures here in just a moment. So uh, just uh, praying and and letting them know that, hey, you can talk to God any time and any place. Also be confident that the gospel is simple and salvation is available to all who believe and all who will personally trust Jesus and call on him. The Bible says, uses this term, whosoever will may come. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. The word whosoever is there. Anybody. So you can talk to God. You can call on God. It doesn't have to be a priest that's doing it for you. You can talk directly to God through Jesus Christ. 
many Catholics and other religious people will, I was talking with Brother Allen brought this up last week, they miss heaven by 18 inches. They have a head knowledge, but they don't have it in their heart. You talk to Catholics and some people, they'll, they'll believe, oh yeah, Jesus, he's the son of God. Yeah, he died on the cross, he rose again. They've got the head knowledge of who he is and what he's done, but it's never become personalized to them. They never have come to that point of realizing, hey, he did that for me, and the only way I'm gonna make it is personally trusting him and receiving him as my savior. Uh, the Bible says this, the devils believe and tremble. A lot of people in this world, they believe that Jesus, who he is, what he did, but they've never trusted him, and they're not on their way to heaven because it's never been a heart belief. Another key is this. <clears throat> For us to understand that Catholics are, one of the things that's hardest is they are afraid to leave the mother church. There's a fear of leaving the church. They feel like because they've been taught that Salvation is in the church, the structure of the church. If they leave the church, then they can't have salvation. <clears throat> so a lot of cultish groups are like that. You have to belong to their group or else you're doomed to hell or punishment. They teach that their only way to make it through to heaven or paradise or whatever is through their group. But the Bible teaches there's one way to heaven, and it's not through a group. It's not through a church. What's it through? Jesus Christ. He is the way. Pardon me? They categorize sins, yeah. They've got mortal sins, and yeah. Uh, and uh, they, they think that, well, if I leave the church, then I'm going to uh, uh, not have a chance. Well, the Word of God uh, teaches us that the one way to heaven is through Jesus Christ the Lord. And anyone who earnestly trusts their soul to the safekeeping of Jesus Christ, he is saved, born again, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Dennis, you want to help me here? Leo, yeah. I got a, a handout sheet for you, okay? Just pass, give one to everybody here. A little handout sheet for our final point, and then some things for you there. The final point is this listen to me as they come around. Finally, do not criticize, ridicule, or make fun of Catholic doctrine or practice. Even if you have a valid point, even if you have truth on your side, even if you have a, a good Bible verse, don't ridicule or make fun of them, even if they begin to criticize their church. It's like a family. Inside a family, brothers and sisters can fight among themselves, but if you come in, then you, they'll all gang up on you, all right? Well, they're like that. The Catholic Church is very precious to them. They've grown up in it. They, it's been a part of their family and their heritage, maybe for uh, even centuries. And so you don't want to be uh, ridicule. You don't want to make fun of their beliefs. You don't want to chide in on them, uh, with them on certain things. Uh, and don't allow yourself to get pulled into that because then it can have a reverse effect. So here, our doctrines do clash in a lot of places. And so you need some Bible verses to help you with some of those things there. So this is a little list of some of the key areas. For example, authority of Scripture is higher than tradition. Assurance of salvation is possible. That's very important. No more priesthood outside of Jesus. All the other priesthoods are done away with. We are believer priests. We are priests ourselves to go to God. The Mass, Mary worship, Ten Commandments. Usually, the Ten Commandments, they omit the Second Commandment. What's the Second Commandment? Make no idols. Make no idols. Don't have any idols. 
And in their list of Ten Commandments, they eliminate that and they make the tenth one, to, they split coveting, coveting properties and coveting uh, your neighbor's wife and they split those. Uh, and so they take away that second uh, commandment, but you can look in the Bible, it's there. Praying for the dead and purgatory and uh, it's too late to pray for people after they've died. Religious titles, the Bible says call no man father, consulting spirits. So these gives you some scriptures, a few scriptures to help you to have maybe marked in your scripture or whatever. Let's take a, maybe a question or two and then we'll be dismissed. Yeah, Alan? Um, I've not looked all these up. I've looked up the Romans Road. And the, the Romans Road, if you use the Romans Road to lead people to Christ, it's very similar. Uh, these verses, I would have to, uh, um, I'd have to look them up. I haven't done that in the Catholic Bible. Okay. Somebody else? Question? Yes. They, they, uh, purgatory was started way back in the, uh, what was it, 1300s or something like that, and they came up with this, uh, oops, with this uh, plan, and, and what it was for back then is what they called indulgences. They would uh, collect money, and the people would pay money, and the priest would pray and take the individual out of purgatory. Of course, the Bible has never talks about purgatory or a place like that. And so it's just something that they made up to kind of hold over the people. Yes? Well, my mom has a lot of head nods. She does a non-denominational Bible study, but where she is, she's hardcore, and she says, coming to her, it's hard because she recognizes, she doesn't understand the word saved, and she says, you know, you have to do work, so she thinks, well, it's, I hope I get to heaven, but it's for merit, and, you know, I need to work my way, and I don't know. Yeah, just get some of those verses on mercy and grace and Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we, then the very next verse says, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in him. That comes after we're saved. So we should work and stuff, but that doesn't get us to heaven. It's something we do because we love the Lord. And uh, just other verses on mercy and grace and showing the difference that if it's of works, then it's a reward. But if, it's, if that means I did something, you go to heaven. Yes? mentioned all through the Bible. All Old Testament, all our works of righteousness are as filthy rags in his sight. Uh, Timothy says, uh, uh, not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. There's a number of verses on mercy, grace. Yeah, I can look some more up for you. Yes? Right. So that you could make up for whatever he didn't do. Yeah. Or couldn't do. Or, you know. And remember, if we go back, and, and a lot of people are afraid to call the Catholic Church a cult, but if you go to the 
the definition of a cult, it's, it's any, any group that does not uh, believe in the person or work of the completed work of Jesus Christ. So if they say, well, Jesus did this much and we have to add to it, then it's really cultic because they're saying there's a different way of salvation than Jesus alone. Yes. Right. That it's actually the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Right. And like, how do I like help them realize that's so symbolic? Because they like to say, "Oh, if you don't eat communion, you have to go to confession for moral sin, or if you die of love and sin and moral sin, Well, that's a whole a long subject: consubstantiation and transubstantiation, and all of that type of stuff. Um, it's just a matter of, uh, again, getting into the scriptures, the Word of God, and uh, letting the Bible explain itself. Uh, at the Mass, for example, you guys who've been involved in the Mass, you know, they give you the wafer, but the priest himself drinks the, the wine and so forth. And they use a fermented wine. The Bible always uses uh, non-fermented. When it comes to the Lord's Supper, communion, it's always uh, juice. It's always called the fruit of the vine. It's never called wine, to make it clear. There's a lot of just learning that a person has to do and rightly divide the word of truth. Somebody? Yeah, I can look up some stuff for you. Yeah, because especially if you are dealing with family members, then you get into things a little more thoroughly than you would if you're just knocking on a door or talking to somebody at work or something. And so, good. It will. It will. Just like Tom gave a testimony. Ah, it clicked today, you know. This comes a point in all of our lives where we read, and all of a sudden the Spirit breaks through. And so it'll happen. I'll give you some more verses. Somebody else? One more question or a comment? Yes, sir. We have a daughter-in-law that comes here regularly now. She was Catholic all her life until she came here and started going to this church. And she believes everything now that the tennis is done with. Uh-huh. Amen. Praise the Lord. And that's again, that's just because of a, rep- a repetition of the Word of God. Getting the Word of God to the individuals and we need it. Whether we've been saved uh, 10 minutes or 50 years, we still need the Word of God. Uh, it it cleans, cleanses us. It teaches us. The Holy Spirit uses it to build us and to grow us. And like the verse that was read, to make us perfect. And to thoroughly uh, perfect us, that we can be used as tools for the Lord. All right. Let's have a word of prayer. Again, if you have questions about that, write it down on a, a card or a paper or something and turn it into me, and next week we'll try to answer some more of these questions you might have about dealing with Catholics. And next week we'll be talking about trying to reach Mormons. And as you can see, these are all, they all intertwine together. It's a matter of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for time tonight. We do pray for our pastor and staff, uh, guys, that you bring them home safely, uh, that they'll be refreshed, that you give us a wonderful day Sunday. Speak to hearts. Help us have visitors here. And help us to realize, Lord, that it's our job to get the word of God out to those who need it, uh, that they can be saved and have the truth like we do. And, Lord, uh, help us to do it with a loving heart. And we ask you to guide us and direct us and give us safety throughout these days. And, those who we've prayed for, Lord, that have special needs in their life, we lift them up to you, and we just ask for your perfect will, and God, uh, that you'll give us that comfort 
in lives that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.